Well, thank you so much to the worship team. I wish you could be here uh, to be able to hear the sound of that in the auditorium, but I know it doesn't do as much justice maybe coming over your phone or over a computer, um, but uh, what a great privilege and opportunity to be able to praise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, even amidst circumstances like this where we are performing, not really performing, but putting on a service to a mostly empty auditorium. And even in the midst of this circumstance, we can still lift our voices with absolute praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. So we're thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you've joined us today. We're thankful that uh, we can worship together. And again, we've said this every week, it continues to give us Uh, the longing in our hearts to be able to gather back again. And at some point, we know that that will occur. Uh, We know that uh, we will be able to be back together, to be able to worship, and uh, we trust and we pray that uh, God will allow that to take place uh, very soon because our hearts long and desire to be together as believers. We're going to be Starting a series over the next couple of weeks, those of you that know me uh, know that uh, I I love planning things out, and I had, actually, a nice little plan, and uh, God kind of took that plan and said, here, Dave, how about you go with my plan, and so um, we're, uh, all the things that I was going to talk about and wanted to share and deal with, especially in light of our transition And all the things for Whitneyville, uh, we're going to look at those, hopefully, a little bit later on uh, in June. Uh, But right now, we're going to do a series over the next few weeks entitled, Dealing with Life in a Fallen World. How do we handle the challenges and the difficulties and the issues that exist within our world today to be able to uh, live our life in a way that glorifies and honors Jesus Christ in spite of the fact that we live in a fallen world. Those things complicate things. And so this morning we're going to take a look at the matter of dealing with trials in a fallen world. And as Dave read earlier from the book of James, dealing with trials, dealing with uh, how we handle trials and how we handle difficulties, uh, we obviously know that we are all going to face various trials. Those are just the facts of life living in a fallen world. And so today, we're going to look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, as we examine this matter of dealing with trials in a fallen world. How do we handle that? And so let's begin with a word of prayer this morning as we start, and then we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Father, we thank you so much for today. And we thank you for your word this morning. Father, as we continue once again to be here in a virtually empty building, proclaiming your goodness, proclaiming your, your praise, proclaiming the glory and the magnificence of who you are, Father, we are even reminded again today that we are in the midst of a trial, a difficulty, a challenge. And so, Father, I pray that this morning, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, that you might help us as believers to know how we should respond in the midst of these trials, in the midst of these circumstances that we face. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the truths of your word this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 8 Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This text of scripture is a great reminder to us as we examine the various aspects of handling difficulties and handling trials in a fallen world. How do we engage a fallen world? How do we handle situations in a fallen world where these things are gonna just be part of everyday life? Right now we're going through COVID-19 and the spring of 2020. If we fast forward it another year or even another two years, there's gonna be another issue. There's gonna be another trial. There's gonna be another difficulty. I watched a, a short little Facebook clip or video clip uh, yesterday. It was uh, a parody, if you will. It was a woman who was talking to herself. So they were sitting around the, the kitchen table and it was the same woman dressed in different clothes. And it was uh, the woman of today, of April 19th, 2020, going back to talk to herself four months ago. And it was interesting to kind of see that video unfold as they were highlighting all of the issues we were going through in January and all of the struggles and all the challenges and all the things that were facing our world and facing us as individuals. And now here we are in April dealing with this issue of COVID-19. I guarantee you, until the day Jesus Christ returns to take us home, we are going to constantly be dealing with difficulties and trials. The pressures of life are gonna be such that it is going to test us and push out of us what is actually in us. When you put a tea bag into a hot boiling cup of water, you will get out what is actually in that tea bag. You don't put tea bags into hot water and get hot chocolate out. If you get hot chocolate out, it's because that there was hot chocolate in that tea bag. And these pressures and these trials and these difficulties and these challenges are going to produce out of us. They're gonna bring out of us that which is within us. And for those of us as believers, there is a day right now when each one of us is being tested. And what is going to come out of us? What is going to be the outcome of these particular trials and difficulties? We trust that what God has allowed to work in us, how God has allowed to engage with us in a relationship with him, we trust that out of this will come proper responses, namely joy, trusting God, believing in God, following God, being confident in God. This morning, we're going to look at three major ways in which believers, true believers, deal with trials in a fallen world. Three ways in which believers handle trials. And you may come away from this message and say, well, boy, that was really some um, uncaring, uncompassionate ways of looking at trials. Are you really going to tell us that these three ways are the ways in which people deal with trials? Where's the, where's the comfort? Where's the love? Where's the coming alongside and being empathetic to, to cry with somebody and to, to be fearful with somebody and to be anxious with somebody? Well, emotions have their place. But true believers respond to trials in a particular manner. And this is what Peter is trying to drive home. Remember the greater context of Peter is that he is written to, writing to those believers who are scattered because of the persecution that was coming on Rome. Nero was persecuting believers. We'll look at this in, in uh, next week as we look at dealing with the government in a fallen world. But Nero, remember, was persecuting believers. He blamed the believers for the fire that happened in Rome. Nero was actually taking believers and dipping them in tar and setting them up on a pole and lighting them on fire so that he could enjoy chariot races at night. This is the context in which Peter is writing. No one, no one who is watching this video can say that they have a relative who has been dipped in tar, stuck on a pole, and lit on fire so that some emperor can enjoy a nightly race around a track. 
And so we have to keep in mind the, the greater concept and the greater context of what is being communicated because it is into that context that Peter is actually writing these words. And so when we think about trials, we think about difficulties, we say, how am I supposed to respond? And we live in a world today that says, well, but we need somebody to just come alongside of us and cry with us and tell us that, you know what, no one has ever had it this hard before. That's not reality. The reality is there are people that have it much worse and much harder and always will than what we're going through right now. And so into this context, we examine this idea of how believers handle trials. And at, at the end of the day, maybe even at the beginning of the day, it is all in our perspective. It is all in what we look at. It's all in how we perceive these particular things. On April 15, 2013, just seven years ago, it's hard to believe that this occurred seven years ago, two brothers, Tamarian and Zokar detonated two bombs at the very end of the Boston Marathon. That day grabbed the attention of all of us because we remember only 12 years prior the bombings of the World Trade Center and we remember 9-11 and all those memories came flooding back to us. But those two men that detonated the bombs at the end of the Boston Marathon actually used pressure cookers to, to make the bomb. I'm, I'm not a bomb expert, so I can't tell you how they did it. It's probably a good thing, otherwise I might try it. But they were using pressure cookers on a timer and they detonated those bombs. It's interesting to note that in the seven years since that point, there have been sales into the millions of pressure cookers. Not because people are trying to make bombs, but because people have figured out that a pressure cooker is an amazing tool to have in the kitchen. That you can take a frozen steak and throw it into that little Instapot and out comes a cooked steak in just a few minutes. Two perspectives. One, a pressure cooker is used as a bomb at the Boston Marathon finish line that kills three people and injures hundreds of others. The other is the same pressure cooker which takes frozen meat and allows you to have a, a really tasty meal in just a matter of minutes. It's all in perspective. So some people may say, well, we should outlaw pressure cookers. We should get rid of pressure cookers because they were used in the bombing at the Boston Marathon. While obviously millions of other people say, well, we should be purchasing an Insta Instapot or a pressure cooker because look at what it can do for us. It's a perspective issue. And Peter is reminding these Christians as they're scattered around, as they're scattered throughout Asia Minor, he's reminding them, this must be your focus. Probably many of you that are watching this have a pressure cooker, an Instapot or whatever sitting in your kitchen but you're not terrified while you sit in your living room. Why? Because you understand your goal and your desire is not to turn that thing into a bomb. Your goal and your desire is to use that thing for the good and the benefit of your family. And when we think about trials, we think about difficulties, it's the same perspective that we must have. Why are these things coming and how must I respond? James chapter one deals with this. First Peter chapter one deals with this as well. So let's look this morning at three ways believers must respond to trials. First of all, verses three through five, believers praise God in the midst of trials. A true believer is going to be one who praises God in the midst of a trial. Look what he says in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and fading and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter, again, is writing to people, believers that are scattered, people that have friends, family, relatives who are being persecuted by Nero. And Peter begins his letter three verses in by saying this, let's praise God in the midst of this trial. You say, what? 
Why are we going to do that? Don't we need somebody to tell us that our life is, is uh, so valuable and, and they should just empathize with us and they should just cry with us and they should try to, try to help us and try to make us feel like it's okay that we have all these anxieties and all these worries and all these... Shouldn't that be the first thing we do? No, it really shouldn't. Because that response says it's all about me. Peter's response to these people who are scattered is to say, let's keep our focus lifted up to what God has done for us and who God is. In the midst of a trial, true believers will always point themselves upward. They will always point themselves to God. Immature believers, those that are not saved, other people that are not saved, will point to themselves. They'll look to themselves. They'll be introspective of themselves. Let me tell you how this affects me. Let me tell you how I feel. Let me tell you what I'm going through. Let me tell you about my anxiety. Let me tell you about my worry. Let me tell you about my fear. Let me tell you about all these things about me. But a true, mature Christian is gonna say, does life stink? Yes. I appreciated Dave's candor. It's stupid. It stinks. We don't like it but here's the reality. It is what it is. And where does a mature Christian go? A mature Christian immediately goes upward to say, I want to focus my mind and my attention on God. So Paul says, Peter rather says, first of all, believers praise God. Why in the world are we going to praise God? Because there may be some that watch this and say, well, I need somebody to, I need somebody to just tell me that, you know what, you're fully justified to worry. I need somebody to tell me I'm fully justified to have anxiety. I'm fully justified to wallow in whatever emotional response I want to have. I want people to come alongside of me and tell me I'm okay to have these reactions. And Peter doesn't do that. Peter says, listen, in light of the fact that your friends and relatives are being dipped in tar and stuck on a pole and lit on fire, here's what I want you to do. Praise God. We don't praise God and say, woohoo, finally, you know what, God, I've got a list of some other family members or friends or whoever that could go through persecution. But our first immediate focus must be upward to God. Why? Paul, Peter says, first of all, we have a living hope. Verse three, this tags right into what we talked about last week with his resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believers praise God. Why? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Why can I praise God in the midst of my trials? Because I have a living hope. Meaning, there are people who do not have hope. There are people who are trusting in themselves, focused on themselves, trying to figure things out for themselves, who have no hope of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, listen, let's talk about the first thing you have. The first thing you have is a living hope. That's why you're praising God. That's why Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. How was this accomplished? Peter says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Last week, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. And we get all hyped up and crazy and excited as Christians about Resurrection Sunday, about Easter, about the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and rightly so. But Peter says there is long-term ramifications for that. You know what that means? It means beyond Easter Sunday, beyond Resurrection Sunday, when we're all focused on that, it means the rest of the 364 days out of that year, we have the same living hope and the same joy and the same potential for hope that we have on that Resurrection Day. All of us gathered last week in our homes or wherever we may have been, and we praise God for the resurrection that we have. That wasn't a one-day event. Peter said this is an everyday issue, that every day we are reminded of that living hope which was accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, listen, you're going through trials? Join the club. We're all going through them. What is a mature Christian going to do? A mature Christian is going to praise God. Why? Because he understands that he has a living hope. But not only does he have a living hope, he has a living inheritance. Verse 4, he has raised us, he brought us uh, this living hope to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, 
unfading and kept in heaven for you. Peter says, not only do you have a living hope, not only do you have Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and how he has accomplished this living hope through his resurrection, he has provided for you an inheritance. Some of you may be so engrossed in the stock market that right now you're thinking, you know what, I had an inheritance, but that inheritance is gone. Don't have that anymore. Lost $30,000 in one day. I didn't, didn't have it there in the first place, but maybe you did. You lost a significant amount of money and you think, well, kids, there goes your inheritance. There goes our future. There goes all that, that certainty that we thought we were going to have. We live in a world that is uncertain. We live in a world that is not guaranteed from one day to the next of what we will have in our bank account. But look at what Peter says here about our inheritance. We have this living hope, Jesus Christ, the living hope who has risen from the dead for us. He has accomplished a great finished work that he was called here to do. We have a living hope that he has given to us. But he says also we have a living inheritance, which is what? It is imperishable. It can't decay. It can't die. It is undefiled. It is not morally or ceremonially corrupted. And it is unfading. It does not lose the pristine character of glory. And it is secure. Four things that Peter says, if you needed something other than the living hope that Jesus Christ has, you also have a living inheritance. I mean, Peter could have ended it right there at verse 3 and said, you've got a living hope. You really don't need anything else. But he didn't. He said, not only do you have a living hope, you have a living inheritance. And that living inheritance is what? It's imperishable. It means it can't decay. That's why Matthew reminds us in chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in, uh, in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. There are people that go through this life laying up for themselves treasures here on earth, which can go like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest. I'm not saying you shouldn't plan for the future. I'm not saying you shouldn't put things away. But the fact of the matter is anything here on this earth is temporary. Anything here on this earth has the ability to become perishable. Peter says that inheritance is undefiled. It's not morally or ceremonially unclean. Just like Jesus Christ that we looked at a few weeks ago is the perfect life, the perfect lamb, the perfect Lord, the perfect high priest. Jesus Christ is the perfect one morally pure, ceremonially pure. He is the only one who lived that way. And Peter says that inheritance brought to you by Jesus Christ is exactly the same way. That inheritance is unfading. It doesn't lose the pristine character or glory. And it's kept in heaven for you. The beautiful thing is it's not here on this earth. It's being reserved, it's being kept, it's being guarded in heaven for you. The language that Peter uses here is this idea that it's being kept, has somebody keeping an eye on it. Maybe you go away for a week or two and you ask your neighbors, can you keep an eye on our house? Can you, can you keep an eye on our dog or our cat or whatever other precious item you may have? And you go away and you think, well, you know, the neighbors are taking care of it. The neighbors are keeping an eye on it. But there's always in the back of your head that thought of, are they really though? Are they really doing a good job? I remember one time I had a friend of mine when I was in sixth grade that had to go away for a week and he had a goldfish. And I was asked to keep that goldfish. And we had to have a moment of silence for that goldfish because I failed somehow in some capacity to keep a proper eye on it. I don't know if I didn't feed it enough. I don't know what I did. But when I, my friend got home, I had to explain to him, I'm sorry, but your goldfish is dead. <laughs> That's a challenge. That's a difficult thing to have to have that kind of conversation with a friend. And when we think about our inheritance and we think about what Christ has done for us, the idea that Peter is using here is that God is the one keeping an eye on it. The best one you ever want to keep an eye on something is God. And Peter says you have a living inheritance. Not only do you have a living hope, you have a living inheritance. 
that's guarded through faith by the power of God. As he talks about here, verse five, not only do we have a living hope, a living inheritance, but Peter says, verse five, you have a living guardian who, those of us that are believers, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm going through a trial, going through a difficulty. Right now, we're all going through the same issues, similar, different, but we're all affected globally right now. There are times when maybe only I'm going through a difficulty and maybe you're not, or maybe you're going through a difficulty and I'm not, but right now we're all in this together. You've seen the slogans and the taglines and the whole world is going through this issue. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're dealing with, we must be reminded. Peter says, I want to remind you, first of all, you have a living hope. And we could just stop right there and say, thank God we have a living hope. This won't last forever. We will get through this. And God is going to take us home to be with him at some point. We have this living hope. But not only that, we have the hope that we will someday spend eternity with Christ forever. And Peter says, you have a, a living inheritance once you get there. That wasn't ruined by anything that happened here. And now he says, not only do you have a living hope and you have a living inheritance, but he says you have a living guardian who in the midst of these trials, in the midst of these circumstances is doing what? He is guarding you. So we could just look future and say, wow, we have a living hope. So, boy, you know, Eeyore, thanks for noticing me, but I'm just going to try to think about the future. I'm going to get through life right now. It's really hard and difficult, but I have a living hope, and so I'm looking forward to that. And, oh, I have a living inheritance that when I do get there, I'm going to have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and uncorrupted and kept in heaven. And Peter says, but there's more. While you're going through this time, you have a living guardian. Someone is guarding you. Someone is protecting you. Someone is looking out for you. Who is that? It's God. Who, by God's power, you are by God's power being guarded. How are we being guarded? We're being guarded through faith, our faith, our trust, our hope in Jesus Christ. God is guarding us by his power through this time of trial and difficulty. We're not going through this alone. We're not going through this as some isolated people group. For those of us that are believers, Peter says, I want to remind you, you have a living hope, you have a living inheritance, which, by the way, can never be destroyed at all, ever. And you have a living guardian in the midst of the trial now. And there's almost an understood question from Peter. What else do you want? Well, I want somebody to cry with me about how it's right for me to be anxious. Or I want somebody to cry with me and tell me I'm fully justified to be worried. Or I want somebody to cry with me and, and tell me I'm fully justified to focus on myself right now. These were people who were scattered. These were people who were forced out of their homes, forced to become refugees, forced into difficult situations, who were thinking back of their family members and friends and other people who were being dipped in tar, stuck on a pole, and lit on fire. Peter doesn't come alongside of them and say, Let us, let's cry together. Let, let, let's talk about how it's justified that you feel this way. Peter's not minimizing the emotions of a human being, but Peter is saying in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a difficult situation, what must you do? You must praise God. Why? You have a living hope, you have a living inheritance, and you have a living guardian. So let's just stop right there and say, praise God. I have a living hope, I have a living inheritance, and I have a living guardian. Again, we're not trying to minimize how you may feel amidst a difficulty. We're not trying to minimize an emotional response that you may have amidst a difficulty, but the moment at which we focus more on our emotional response than we do on our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the moment we have demonstrated we are not living as a mature Christian like God intends us to live. And Peter is talking to people who are refugees. Peter is talking to people who have suffered persecution, physical persecution. And he says, praise God, first and foremost, 
because of the living hope, the living inheritance, and the living guardian that you have. Second of all, not only must believers praise God, but secondly, believers must rejoice despite their circumstances. Look at verse six and seven. In this, you say, well, well, what's the this? In this you rejoice. In what he just got done talking about. Verse three through five. The living hope, the living inheritance, the living guardian, in this you rejoice. And not only just in that, but in the circumstances that are all surrounding this. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says this, true believers not only praise God, verses three through five, because they have a living hope, a living inheritance, and a living guardian, but believers rejoice despite their circumstances. Why or how can believers actually do that? Are they lunatics? Are they nuts? I mean, I can imagine the absurdity of an unsaved person listening to this message. I get it. Because in a world that is telling it's you, it's all about you. In a world that says, just focus on yourself. In a world that says, take care of yourself. In a world that says, let's empathize with everybody and let's wallow in all of the mess with everybody else. Peter, in stark contrast, is saying, well, wait a second. We're not talking about you. We're talking about God. And so I can imagine an unsaved person listening to a message like this going, you guys are nuts. You guys are absolutely crazy to talk this way, to say, I'm supposed to praise God? And not only just praise God, I'm supposed to rejoice despite my circumstances? Are you guys crazy? Well, we might be. But biblically speaking, this is what God has called us to. And why does Peter remind us of this? He says, you are to rejoice despite your circumstances. What are we gonna rejoice about? Well, Peter gives us two main thoughts. First of all, our trials, though diverse, do not last forever. There's something to rejoice about. Our trials, though diverse, do not last forever. Look what he says here. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter says, okay, let's talk about trials. You, you, you're going to kind of have a moment to talk about the emotional aspect and the difficulties and the fears and the worries and the anxieties. Let's, okay, fine, let's talk about them. Well, they last for a short amount of time. Even though in the midst of it, it feels like eternity. I will concede that the last 40 days have seemed like 400 years because in the midst of our trials, we tend to lose sight of the time parameters. And so we feel like we have been in this forever when in reality we haven't. Peter says, okay, let's talk about trials. They last for a short time. They last for a little while. There's a short amount of time. He says that they're necessary. They're part of life. They're part of the fallen world. There's no way to get around trials. Every person in this world is going to face trials on some level of some kind in some capacity. It is the nature of this world because it's fallen. And Peter says, they're necessary, you're gonna go through them. He even says you may be grieved by them. Again, here is Peter acknowledging the human emotion to this. Again, we don't want you to come away from a message like this and say, well, Moy, that was really harsh. We, don't have to, we can't have any kind of emotion about this. It's not true. Peter reminds us here, it's grievous. It's difficult. There's, there's emotional harm. There's emotional damage. There's emotional things that we have to go through that each one of us is going to deal with differently. Each one of us is going to respond to differently. But Peter says, in the midst of all of this, get out of the weeds. Pull yourself up to the 30,000 foot level and let's get a big picture idea of trials. Praise God. You have a living hope, a living inheritance, and a living guardian. And rejoice. Why? Because your trials, though diverse, do not last forever. Second of all, Peter says, our trials, though difficult, refine us. Look at verse 7. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is talking about our faith. What's, what is really being tested here? It's our faith. I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I have confidence in him. I have a hope in him. I have assurance in him. And now this is gonna be tested. God, I, I trusted you as my savior, and look, look what's happened to me. Look at the challenge I'm going through. This is why the prosperity gospel is void of any substance. Because the prosperity gospel says, come to Jesus, you get a new house, and you get a new car, and you get a big bank account, and you get everything you ever wanted, like the magic genie Jesus Christ probably is. He's gonna give you everything you ever possibly wanted. And so we have people that come to Jesus Christ because oh, I want a big house, I want a big car, I want lots of money, I want fame, I want fortune, I want all these things. And they come to Jesus Christ, many of them, not in a true sense, but they come to Jesus Christ and they find out life stinks. Because just because I trusted Christ as my savior at four years old did not mean I became immune from trials. It did not mean I became immune from difficulties. And the same is true for you. In fact, the point could be argued that once we actually do place our faith and trust in him, the trials are actually going to increase. If that's not the greatest marketing scheme I've heard of, I don't know what is. Come to Jesus Christ because your life is probably gonna be more difficult in many ways on this earth. And Christ is reminding us through Peter to think about our trials this way. They are difficult, yes, but they are intended to refine us so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is what? More precious than gold, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does Peter want our reaction to be? He wants our faith to come through this trial, to come through this difficulty, to be going through a refining process and that will produce on the backside what? Praise, honor, and glory. For who? For God. Not for me. We don't come through the trials and come through the difficulty and say, well, thank you very much. I would just like it duly noted that Dave Dietz handled this trial very well. I would like it to be duly noted that, you know what, I'm a pretty spectacular person because look at how graciously I handled this difficulty. No, a true believer, when his faith is tested, when his faith is put to the test, when his faith goes through difficulties and it works, it's refined and it comes out the other side, stronger and better for the cause of Jesus Christ, what happens? Jesus Christ gets the honor and the glory and the praise. Governor Cuomo, the other day, I believe it was Wednesday, said this, God is not the one who is fixing the problems in New York. He was defiant to declare, I will not give God any credit in any capacity for what is happening. Any progress that's made, anything that's happening, it's not God. The implied is, it's who? Me, Governor Cuomo. I am the one who has brought the good things to you. True faith of a true believer, when it's tested, it comes out the other side, it says, you know what? All praise, all glory, all honor belongs to Christ. When we come out the other side of this particular trial, those of us who are true believers are gonna say, you know what? All praise, all honor, all glory to Jesus Christ. Because we understand that my job, my desire of God for me in my life is this, to rejoice despite the circumstances. That's why as we read this morning from James chapter one, count it all joy when you fall into various trials of, of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that why? So that for what purpose? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, not materially, not in your bank account, not in your home, not in some prestige of fame, but that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing in your relationship with God who is the only sustainer of your soul. Everything in James and everything in Peter is driving us to have an upward focus on God that believers praise God and believers rejoice in the midst of trials. But Paul says, thirdly, 
Not only do believers praise God, not only do believers rejoice despite their circumstances, but thirdly, believers trust God. How do we handle trials? How do we handle difficulties? We praise God, we rejoice despite the circumstances, and we trust him. Look at verse eight. Peter says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter throws an interesting wrench into the mix in verse eight. He has focused our attention on praising God. He's focused our attention on rejoicing in God despite our circumstances. And now he says, hey, wait a second. You remember, you haven't actually seen him. Again, for somebody who is unsaved, listening to a message like this, you'd have to say, you Christians are lunatics. You want a trial comes, like COVID-19, praise God. Rejoice, trust him. You haven't even seen the guy. How in the world can you trust somebody you haven't even seen? I can understand how an unsaved person could look at this and say, you people are absolutely absurd. You have lost your minds. But look what Peter says. Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. What is it that allows me to love God even though I have not seen him? I may not have seen him physically. I haven't laid my eyes physically on God. But that doesn't mean that I cannot see his work in my life, his work in the life of other people. I see the evidence all around me of the fact that he exists, of the fact that he's caring for me, of the fact that he's taking care of me, of the fact that he is providing for me. I see evidence all around me of the fact that Jesus Christ loves me. We looked at this last week with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The great love that he showed to us and that while we were sinners, he died for us. And Peter says, though you've not seen him physically, you haven't looked on him, you still love him. Why? Because you know he's there. You know he's working. You know he's providing for you. You know he's sustaining you. Which means what? Believers, true, mature Christians, must be intentional in thinking about ways in which God is demonstrating his love to us. Because Satan is almost the implied here in verse eight and nine. Satan wants to come and say, <laughs> you, have any, you gave your life for Christ? This is what happens? Believers in, in, uh, that, are, that are scattered, the, the dispersion here in First Peter, you trusted Christ? Look what happened. Nero's lighting you guys up. How is that love? Peter's saying, you must be intentional to see, you know what, I haven't physically seen God, but I can see all of the evidence that God loves me, that he cares for me, that he sustains me. Not only that, Peter says, though you do not see him, you believe in him. I haven't seen God, yet I know that he loves me. I see the evidence of his love. I haven't seen God, but I can still believe in him. I can still trust him. At the end of the day, you really only have two people to trust. Trust yourself or you trust God. It's really, at the end of the day, the only two people. Either you're gonna figure this out, you're gonna sustain yourself, you're gonna be the sole provider, you're gonna be the sole sustainer, or God is. At the end of the day, there's really only two people that you're gonna put your confidence in. Because every politician is gonna fail you. Every human being is gonna fail you. Every situation is gonna bring trials and difficulties to you. And so every situation is an opportunity for you to say, I, I'm either gonna have to believe God or I'm gonna have to trust in myself. I'm either gonna have to trust him or trust myself. And Peter reminding them, you don't see him. You know you love him and he loves you. You don't see him, but yet you believe in him and you're following him. And then not only that, we long for the completion of salvation. Verse nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We rejoice, he says at the end of verse eight, we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Because we're longing for the completion of our salvation. What drives us to sing songs like we sang this morning? And we will sing in just a minute. What drives us to do that? 
again, are we some kind of robots that we just flip a switch and don't think, don't ask questions, just do what we tell you, get up there and sing the song and act like you enjoy it? No, we're not robots. Every person that is standing up here singing with joy on their face, a genuine expression on their face, is singing because of the work of Jesus Christ in their lives during this time. And they understand there is an inexpressible, I can't articulate it, I get it as an unsaved person looking at this going, you guys are lunatics, you guys are nuts. How can you do that? You must not have any heart. You must not have any soul. You must not have any compassion. And yet, we stand and we sing with inexpressible joy about how great and how good and how awesome our God is. We can't articulate to you how we do that. It's not because, well, we're just, thank you for noticing, we're just wonderful people up here singing. We're just, we're the special breed of Christian. Uh, nobody else has this, but thanks for noticing that we have. No, what is it? It is the work of God in the lives and the hearts of true believers. Nobody up here has seen God They've never placed a physical eye on God, and yet they've seen him. No one up here has seen God, and yet they believe him, and they trust him. And it is that belief and that confidence and that knowledge of who he is that overflows in our hearts to sing praise and worship and honor and glory to God, because he alone is the one who is worthy. It is no secret that coming out of COVID-19, there will be some people who used to attend Whitneyville Bible Church who will no longer attend this church or any other church. The reality of this life is this, a trial like COVID-19 will actually in some cases drive people away from God. And yet the reality is this, an issue, a situation like COVID-19 should actually drive us closer to God, to in the middle of the circumstance, in the middle of the difficulty, to gather together and to sing praises and honor and glory to God, to trust him no matter what. So when we gather back, when we are able to join together as a church, we fully understand there may be some who never return to rejoice with us. There may be some who never return to worship with us. Why? Because for them, this was the last straw. And God can't trust you. God can't depend upon you. I'm gonna have to figure this out on my own. I'm gonna have to be my own savior. I'm gonna have to be my own sustainer. The sad reality is that will happen all around America in the weeks to come. But we rejoice and we long to gather with those who will rejoice along with us to give praise and honor and glory to God in the midst of the trial. Is it hard? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. Is there anxiousness? Yes. Is there worry? Yes. Is there fear? Absolutely. But Peter does not call on us to wallow in our emotional responses. Peter calls on us to emphatically look upward. Just like Moses, when he raised the serpent in the wilderness, when people were being bitten by the serpents and they looked to the serpent as a representation of the lifted up Jesus Christ that John communicates to us. As Christ said in his earthly ministry, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. The question is, who are you looking to? Who are you focusing on? And who are you lifting up? If your conversations do not revolve around focusing on Jesus Christ and on lifting him up and on having our living hope being truly in him, which it really is, then your Christianity may not be as mature as you think it was. Or you may not actually be a believer in the first place. 
Peter is talking to refugees who literally have relatives being lit on fire because they are a Christian. COVID-19 hasn't done that to us. It's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging, yes. But if Peter writes to these people in this situation, this message, then I will guarantee you he wants us to hear that same message. Praise God today. Rejoice in God today. And trust God today. Because he alone is the sustainer of everything and everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would be with those that may be listening who are struggling today. They're struggling with anxiety. They're struggling with worry. They're struggling with fears. They're struggling with all the emotional responses that are natural as human beings. And Father, I pray that today you would help us to understand that through you, it truly is possible to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance remain. That Christ has regarded me in my helpless state, that he has died for me in my helpless state and that I can praise him, I can rejoice in him, and I can trust him. Father, may we as Whitneyville Bible Church be a shining example to our community and to our state of what it looks like to respond to God the way he intends us to respond, to praise him, to rejoice in spite of our circumstances and to trust him in the midst of difficulty. Father, may you be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. For it's in your name we pray, amen.